Welcome to Dragon's Rest, a podcast about the fantasy tavern where all great adventures get their start. It's here you'll meet a wannabe hero, a misanthropic bartender, a washed-up mage, a dim-witted bard, and a braggadocious dwarf. Created by Darcy Thompson and starring a cast of talented storytellers, each week promises a fresh keg of laughter and misadventure. So come on down to Dragon's Rest. Visit dragonsrestshow.com for more. Cause I'm exactly where I want to be Yeah, I'm a sinner through and through And I'll be waiting in hell for you Welcome to The Morbid Forest frightened don't be frightened <laughs> just my little friend larry here <laughs> isn't he adorable <laughs> he's come to be ranger harper's best friend haven't you little buddy oh. Hmm. oh don't worry he's harmless when it suits him <laughs> but don't worry a good friend will do anything for you, much like someone I know. Hmm. I'll tell you all about him. <laughs> it's my best friend, Charles. Thanks, Melissa. I'm standing outside the county courthouse now, waiting for what will hopefully be the final deliberating day in the Charles Dunn trial. The prosecutors. I clicked the round gray off button on the remote, silencing the TV. I did not want to hear about Charles Dunn. Not anymore. Uh, hey! Lisa's high-pitched voice called from behind me. The tone hurt my ears, and my hands fought to cover them. I balled them into fists instead the knuckles working like rhythmic flesh pumps as I counted to ten, just like Mother taught me to do. I was watching that. She moved deeper into the living room. Her tone coming down a note caused my fingers to relax. I turned and found her face to be the grand salmon pink from the 64-count box. The 24-count didn't have salmon pink. Her face also displayed 
flashcard number 10, anger. Her face made me call forth the memory of the day Dr. Flynn gave me the cards. They were cut equally, three by two. Don't worry, I checked, into neat laminate squares. They slipped into my wet palms, but the perfectly circular silver ring kept them from tumbling to the floor. All of this would have made me card number one happy, but number ten was wrinkled. I suppose at the time it was fitting, but irony is something I still don't care for and still find useless. I picked at the folded clear skin the entirety of the car ride home. Mother was playing a news station, humming lightly to herself. Humming made my ears tingle, and I didn't like how that felt. But I liked how Mother hummed in her extra quiet voice. At dinner, Mother finally noticed the picking. Arthur! Her voice was shrill, my bloodied finger flying to defend my ears. The card clutched tight to my hand. Your hands! Give those to me right now, young man. No, Mama, I need them. And this one, this one isn't right. I need to make it right. I tried to show her flashcard number 10 angry. My blood had smeared across the surface, turning the red-hot face crimson. But she didn't care. She took my new cards, effectively throwing them on the counter out of reach. But I needed those. I finally had something to understand her face. I felt lost again. And... And I just wanted number 10 to look like the rest. It's okay, Arthur. Look, look, baby. We'll go back to Dr. Flynn's in the morning and get you a brand new set of cards. And before we leave, we'll make sure they all match. Her voice was soft as she knelt in front of me. Her apron was stained from making dinner. I counted each sauce splatter. It helped me breathe again. I didn't notice the lock of hair in my hands that I had pulled out of my head. Arthur? Artie? I snapped back from the memory, my hand pulling gently at the hair just behind my ear. Where did you go? Lisa was looking at me, her face soft and concerned. As an adult, faces just got more complicated. I didn't like it. Don't call me Artie. You know not to call me that. Mother named me Arthur for a reason, and I didn't go anywhere. I've been here this whole time, Lisa. I snapped. She rolled her eyes. Green gumballs and washing machines. (laughs) Fine, Arthur. Give me the remote. I wanted to watch that. Well, I don't. Remote in hand, I turned my head to the room upstairs. I could hear my sister using what mother would call crass choice words as I left the room. Lisa and I lived together with her husband, Brandon. My room was upstairs, and what I overheard Brandon call the empty womb room, although I don't know why it would be a womb, seeing as I'm currently living in it, and there's never been a sign of a fetus anywhere. Lisa moved in when Mother died. I miss her a lot. Mostly because Brandon and Lisa don't like watching the same shows as me, or know how to make my sandwiches just right. With the edges cut off and cut into equal four squares. At least they let me decorate my room. I modeled it after something I saw in one of Mother's magazines. Blue and white stripes lined the four walls, all six inches wide, with each wall having equal number of stripes. And there was one window, which my full bed lay perfectly under. Two dark wood nightstands 
and a dark wood desk for my work. I like to draw pictures. I file them all in chronological order and by the type of picture. I had a small TV that Brandon hung up for me. It was three centimeters too far to the left of the closet. He said he would come fix it, but hasn't had the time since the last time I asked. I remember the remote in my hand, my fingers rubbing the smooth rubber of the power button. It was a universal remote, just a peek. I sat on the edge of my bed and pressed power. The screen illuminated and a dirty blonde man flashed on the screen. I turned it off immediately. What good was it going to do to watch? Oh, I know. I left the remote to sit alone on the edge of my bed and went to my desk. Next to my desk was a small dark oak bookcase. But it wasn't filled with books, so I suppose calling it a bookcase was incorrect. It is an art case. Thick binders lined each of the four shelves. Inside the binders, in neat, tidy, clear slips, were my most prized drawings. I enjoyed shapes mostly when I was younger. Once I learned that everything was made up of numerous shapes, I liked to draw more. It might be the only thing I love that is not a human. I asked mother once if I could love a thing. She told me I could have love for a thing, but that wasn't really a definitive answer to my question. I just took it for a yes. Sometimes it was easier to just walk away than ask more questions. Mother was limited in the amount of things she actually knew about, and I suppose so am I. I pulled the fourth blue binder from the first shelf and began flipping through. The drawings inside this binder were extra special. They're all early works, unrefined and imperfect. I still had to use a protractor to make circles right in all of them. I'm not sure what, but deep in my belly, they made me feel. I've never found a flashcard that could aptly display the feelings that flood forth when I look into this binder. So I just call them the feelings. The feelings attached to the only memories that truly matter. But Mama, I don't want to go outside. It is dirty and cold out there. I whined while gazing up at Mama. She tugged my scarf around my neck tighter, just like I like it. But it didn't make me want to go outside anymore. Arthur, you will do as I say and go outside. You will go outside and so help me. You will play like a normal little boy. Do you hear me? That is that, mister. When Mama said, that is that, the subject was closed. Snapped shut, like a book without even knowing the ending. She spun me like a top and ushered me to the front door, throwing it open as she nudged me outside. The air was cold against my uncovered face, causing me to shrink into her skirt. Now, Arthur, it's going to be okay. Just try for me, son. She spoke softly in my ear, and I could smell the flower on her hands that clung to my frail shoulders. They smell safe. The outside smelled funny and unsafe. She kissed my head before stepping away and shutting the door firmly. The nail in the coffin.
I'm okay. I'm okay. Mama said to be a normal boy. But I thought I already was a normal boy. So how could I be more normal? I looked at my hands for a moment to see if they still looked like hands. They did. So I guess that makes me normal. Next would be to go play. I could do this. I took ten breaths and then climbed down the stairs. I would do anything for mother if she asked. I didn't enjoy most people, even at an early age of ten. But mother, she cared for me when everyone else called me strange. She understood me. I walked down our driveway, counting my steps as I went, the numbers making it easier with each breath to be outside. I tightened the knot on my scarf for good measure. We lived in a quiet town in the middle of nowhere. Some days we had to take long car rides to the city for shopping and other things. I didn't like the city. Too many people. Too many noises. I liked our quiet town much better. The part of the town we lived in, I heard, was the bad part of town. I'm not sure what made it particularly bad, but it was bad all the same. Our street was surrounded by woods stretching like fences between us and the mobile home park and the edge of town. Some nights you could hear screaming wails coming from the woods. At least that's what mother called them. But they didn't sound like orcas or blue whales on the nature channel. Lisa told me that's because they're hobo whales, and hobo whales are the rarest type of whales. Fall leaves crunched under my shoes as I came to the curb's edge. I moved my head from left and then right, making sure no cars were coming. I took another ten breaths, counting each one for good measure, and then stepped off the curb. We didn't have any kids on our block, which was fine. The kids at school were mean anyway, so it stands to reason the block kids would be just as mean. They pointed and laughed at me a lot. made my head hurt. Teachers weren't any better. I heard one call me retarded once. I told Mama, and the next week the teacher wasn't at school anymore. She said that that was a bad word, and to never let anyone call me that again. I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do in order to be a normal boy, so I simply walked across the street and into the arms of the woods. The trees were tall and went on forever. When I looked up at them, it made me dizzy. I'm not sure how long I walked for, or what I was walking to, but it was kind of nice. It was quiet, save for the sounds of my feet trudging through the fall leaves. The woods were a sea of orange and yellow I imagined I was floating across. I was daydreaming about the colors when I stumbled right into something. I cried out, startled as I tumbled to the ground with the thing that was in my path. It yelped too, and we became tangled mess of snakes. Stunned, I scrambled to my feet. I was covered in leaves and dirt. Mother wasn't going to be happy. I wasn't happy. I hated being dirty. Did you not see me standing here? The voice came from in front of me. I nearly forgot about the person, too distracted by the dirt and grime now covering my jeans and jacket. It was a boy with straw blonde and brown hair. His eyes were slightly sunken in as if something was missing in his skull. He appeared as though he had already tumbled 
with a thousand me's. Gummy stains and crusted splotches marred his clothes. The dirt and debris from our fall added garnish to his look. I vaguely remember getting hit by the boys in my school with a similar-looking stick in the schoolyard. I stepped away from him, afraid he was going to do the same. Do you talk? Ugh, whatever. He turned to walk away, and something in his eyes made me react. Maybe it was the absence of light in them. Something I've only ever seen in the mirror every day. But I found my lips moving to form words. I, I didn't see you there. I would be sorry, but you got my clothes dirty. I don't like being dirty. But you're dirty now, too. So I guess we're even. What are you doing out here? The boy turned, eyes empty. He cocked his head and looked at me like a bird, assessing me. It was an odd blank stare, which I returned. I liked his face. It wasn't that I couldn't read it, which I would not have liked, but that it was so totally and completely blank. It was calming. The expectancy of knowing what his face said was gone, and I felt a little at ease. Like how I feel most of the time around Mother. I came out here to look for stuff. What kind of stuff? I asked. He looked at me again, and then he shrugged his shoulders, as if deciding something. Come on, come see for yourself. He turned and walked a few paces to where we had tumbled. I followed, obedient for once. Amongst the leaves lay a dead squirrel. Well, I assumed it was dead. I've never seen a dead thing before, but the creature's hollowed-out eyes were a sure sign that it was dead. Its chest was unmoving, and small patches of fur were missing, exposing red-gray flesh underneath. The boy poked at it with the stick. This is what I came to look for. He jabbed the stick into the squirrel's middle. I counted each poke. One, two, three, four... Why did you even come up here? The stick stopped moving, and I was forced to look at the boy. My mother said to play outside like a normal boy, so I'm out here trying to be normal. Are you normal then? He asked, not looking at me, but at the dead squirrel. I paused thinking about this for a moment. No. No, I don't think I am. Good. Neither am I. The first time we poked something that wasn't a dead squirrel, we were 16. It was an accident. Charles knew it. I knew it. But Alicia McFlannings didn't know that. Alicia was beautiful. Her face was a perfect circle. Her nose ruler straight. The only thing not perfect about her was her grades. Mine were perfect. Something she commented on enough until I finally asked her if she wanted to be tutored. I didn't care if she performed well in school. I just wanted her to stop asking without asking. We were walking in our woods. It was a shorter distance home that way. I remember thinking her rainbow striped shirt was ill-fitted because her breasts made the stripes lumpy and incongruent. But it didn't distract me from her beauty too much, making it tolerable. I was proud of myself for making such profound progress. We walked in silence our feet an untuned orchestra in my ears. Alicia spoke first, and I wish I had never answered her. I wish she kept that flawed mouth shut. Hey, so 
Any girls at school you're interested in dating, Arthur? The question stopped me in my tracks. My heart felt like a caged hummingbird bound in muscled bone. Was she... Was she interested in me? I still had trouble reading faces, but this... This sounded like an acquisition. I quickly counted to five. My palms slick against the walking stick in my hand. Yes, you. Would you like to be my girlfriend? So stupid. It was the only time in my life I felt as stupid as people said I was. She laughed at me. Laughed and pointed, her cheeks turning an ugly red that in my growing anger I couldn't even name. (laughs) You think I want to be your girlfriend? Alicia howled to the trees, and my grip (laughs) tightened on the stick. Don't laugh at me. The words came out soft at first. But as she continued laughing, they launched from my throat like missiles. I said, don't laugh at me. I just wanted her to shut up. Her laughing was hurting my ears, and my heart was beating ten times too fast. And she just wouldn't stop. When the force was finally silent, except for my heavy breathing, I felt relieved. And Alicia wasn't so beautiful anymore. I sat on the edge of my bed, my hands moist like that for the first time again. I watched as Charles was led from the courthouse, his face as blank as always. A mob of people pushed to get near him, and I was glad I could mute them from here. I wouldn't be able to take it if I were there. I already knew what the verdict was without the transcripted words telling me. I felt it again. My stomach gnawing at my other organs so painfully I thought I would never recover. Guilty on all 36 counts of murder in the first degree. Guilty with a life sentence. I slid from my bed to the floor, eyes not leaving the screen. I may not be there, but I couldn't leave him just yet. He was my only friend. My best friend. He told me that once when they lock him away to not visit for a while. Charles knew I hated nonspecific answers, but he said this one time he didn't have an exact time frame for me, so I allowed it. When the case finally died down, I could visit him. I was glad we were in a state that didn't have the death penalty. I really wouldn't be able to stand it then. An officer pushed Charles towards the black and white van, the color portions off, making me a little angry. Charles stepped into the van his face turning to find the camera. For a second, I saw the boy I met in the woods that first day, the boy who decided to be my friend. It was jarring and made my head spin. I saw the boy who helped me bury Alicia McFlannings in the woods, the one that told me it was okay, that he understood why I did it. I saw the boy who kept helping me bury bodies next to Alicia's, until the cops dug them all up. And the boy looked back at me now, the tsunami building in my stomach, calming a beat. I saw the boy mouth, it's okay. And I knew it would be. Because Charles is my best friend, and he would do anything for me. This has been 
a Morbid Forest production. On this week's episode, you've heard My Best Friend Charles, written by Naomi Richards and narrated by Matthew Trevino, Sean Moreau, and Naomi Richards. Follow us on Instagram at The Morbid Forest. I'm sure everyone has seen our awesome new look. And we plan on creating stickers and some t-shirts with this new look. And if you want to be among the first to vote on what kind of stickers or even to receive them before anyone else, go ahead and head over to patreon.com slash themorbidforest. Or simply if you want to support the show, you can also head over to Patreon. (laughs) Currently, we have two different tiers going on, a $3 and a $5 tier. And each level will either get you shout outs, free merch, bonus content, and a chance to just connect with us on a better level. With your help, we'd love to eventually get copyrighted and to eventually maybe hire on another actor full-time. Currently, all of our either actors have been guest spots or friends of the show. (laughs) Thank you, friends. Uh, So, But we'd really love to pull somebody else on and maybe help a voice actor out there in need. Um, so if you yourself are a voice actor that is looking to break out there, or if you simply want to send us a little love note, go ahead and head over to our email and that's at themorbidforest at gmail.com. And as always, thank you so much for your support and for listening to us. And we'll see you next week, travelers on The Morbid Forest. Welcome to Dragon's Rest, a podcast about the fantasy tavern where all great adventures get their start. It's here you'll meet a wannabe hero, a misanthropic bartender, a washed-up mage, a dim-witted bard, and a braggadocious dwarf. Created by Darcy Thompson and starring a cast of talented storytellers, each week promises a fresh keg of laughter and misadventure. So come on down to Dragon's Rest. Visit dragonsrestshow.com for more.